but we try to finish. We're gonna try to finish off uh, Ezekiel the fifty-eight chapter, the first and second verse this afternoon. It says, "Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thine voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as a nation that did righteousness." and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore they say, Have we fasted? Say they, and thou seest not. Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no pleasure? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, you fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as you do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will thou call this a fast? And an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thine bread to the hungry, that thou bringest the poor that are cast out to thine house, when thou seekest the naked that thou covetest him? and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Here we have the prophet addressing the people, uh, God's people. This people seem in a manner, as Israel was, a, a hypocritical nation. Just as parallel as we're looking at today, similar to the nation that we live in today seeming to be a very religious nation. Notice where he says that they delight. They delight to know my ways in a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They delight in approaching to God. So they like going to church. They, they are church-going people. They like having the name of God's people. They like the things of holiness or whatever. And we notice where they are fasting. They're fasting, but they're saying, God, you're not recognizing, you're not taking account of us fasting and acknowledging our fasting. Uh, and this is a midst of hypocritical nation. And we realize that his biggest Arguments of his biggest problems during his day was with the Pharisees. All alone, we see throughout the Old Testament where when the prophets would come to admonish God's people or cry against God's people, when a prophet came, it was mainly, as I talked about last time, to point out the people's faults and their flaws that they had did something wrong that their priest, they had priests that were supposed to be teaching the people in those days. Their leadership, their parents, and 
those were, that were responsible for instructions had apparently given instructions to people knew of the instructions and just that they wasn't doing it. They had a religious facade. And they were like the, the Laodicean church. They had all of the material things. They had everything, but they were given to self-pleasure as he talks about doing their fast, how they had designed religion just as we've designed religion today to have it our way. You know, we have certain fasts that the church talk about the fast. Even the secular world is talking about fasting. But here the prophet is decried, just like the pastors and the leaders of the day and in the New Testament church in where they, the, the, it was a charge given to the preachers and to the leaders of that day to cry loud and spare not. He, Paul told Timothy to preach the word, preach it in season and preach it out of season, where it's going to come a time when they wouldn't endure sound doctrine. The prophet here is told, cry loud, do not hold back. Lift up your voices like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgressions and to the house of Jacob their sins. Now, trumpets symbolizes a loud or warning cry of impending danger. We, we, I think what you've seen it on some movies or anything that you've seen it on, they call it a sofa or whatever, a ram's horn. They blow these horns. Or maybe you've seen a bugle or something like that on television where they're blowing a bugle or something to allow the people to, to rise up for reveille or something. And that with this noise, this certain distinct noise, it's the alarm or wake the people up a warning. And that's what the preachers are admonished here and the prophet was admonished here. It says, cry loud and spare not. In other words, don't show it in nepotism or favoritism. And that's what we're doing to the church today. We're showing favoritism and nepotism within the churches and we have people within the ranks there. I remember the president, our former president, he had did something, uh, came to light about his having a affair with a prostitute or whatever. And one of the leaders, uh, his name Tony Perkins, uh, of a head of Focus on the, not Focus on the Family, forgot the Christian organization that he's in Washington ahead of family, some family program or whatever, but he says that we will give him a mulligan. In other words, that they will just let it slide or whatever. And you don't let these things slide with religious leaders, just as the Pope, now this Pope that's trying to say different things, but they looked and see how many clergy abuse that was swept under the rug where they moved the priest out, or they moved the ones that guilty of these infractions out. But the New Testament doesn't look at it that way, and neither did the old. But it says, those that sin rebuke openly. In other words, when Peter was wrong in what he was doing, Paul said that I withstood him to the face and I told him openly. It's a different matter of some sins that you had held privately between within members or within the laity or whatever. But we see where the clergy, where the teachers of God's people, the leaders of the, God's people, 
are given to open rebukes uh, and where others would fear and wouldn't do these things. And it's, it's where God tells the prophet here. He says, cry aloud and do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and declare my people their transgressions into the house of Jacob their sins. Most preachers nowadays aren't preaching on sin. They say they don't preach on sin. They don't preach condemnation or whatever. But without him preaching on sin and showing the people they're wrong and where they lie at, those same people continue in sin. There's no danger admonition as when Jesus or John the Baptist would tell the Pharisees that you vipers, you that you seek to wash the outside of the cup and who have warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come. And we must give a clear and distinct sound of the gospel warning the people of the promises but also of the judgments to come. We can't just do like some of the prosperity preachers preach about tithe and prosperity or whatever and not from this mountain. He also preaches of the curse if you what would come upon you if you don't do these things. These verses from the prophet impart a dire warning just as those toward the end times that the day of the Lord is at hand, a day of darkness, gloominess, and cloud over man's society. And I was telling the other day when I was teaching or whatever, and it says, be afflicted and mourn. So a lot of people face this as a laughing matter. It was Liz Cheney talking about it the other day, her and uh, Adam Kinziger, about the people aren't taking this and with a weightier enough heart to realize that we at the precipice. And if people see us smiling and laughing with an unconcerned attitude and disposition, it's just the church allowing people just to go on in their blindness or whatever, not waving their hands and shouting, hey, the bridge is out, the bridge is out. You go, go, over, you go, go over the falls, you go, you go fall to your death. And that's what's happening, especially in... I don't see any hope for the world. I can see the closer we get toward this end, the more I can see what Jesus Christ, his prophecies and promises come true. We have very few men today. He says a scarcity of men in end time and that the children and the women would be our leaders in that. It's a very few household where the men are the leads and the guides in the household. There's a very few churches where the pastors are crying aloud and spare not and that the deacons and the prosperity people are not leading the churches. It, it's no more fire and brimstone. It's no more that old path that's turning the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. In other words, we've taken the smooth edge off the gospel. It's no more warning. You know, church is just a, a little nice thing. You know, every everybody gets along and it's just a little party favors and everybody goes to church and everything and just la-di-di-di, you know. Uh, though originally intended for Israel, these warnings supply specifically to, to the called-out children of God. Since we are the ones living in the end time with the understanding of God's plan, the clarity of God's plan has been no more clear than it is to God's people in these last days those that are obedient to God's word that are walking in God's word. 
But that's why they say stay away from the ones that's within the church who are walking in darkness. It tells you not to even have fellowship with that because they are more idolatry and covetousness and cowardness and the works of the flesh that manifest in the church. And we see why Jesus said in the book of Revelations that if the church did repent, that he would fight against the church. He tells us to have no fellowship with so many people. In other words, we can't put them out of the church, but you don't have a closer, intimate association. You receive them as a brother, but keep them at arm's length. It says, uh, in fact, we have the most to lose by ignoring these stern prophecies of death and destruction. They are admonitions to prepare ourselves spiritually for the tumult that's ahead, that you can see the warning signs in that. We talked earlier about those that are ignorant, that are, those that are blind, dumb dogs that cannot bark. They are not warning the sound. They are not making this alarm and say, I told you. I, you know, and you, we're telling the people, and we will be held accountable for that that we don't warn and tell people of. It says, notice that these verses stress repentance, fasting, prayer, and who but God's elect truly understand what these things mean. Isaiah 58 and 3 says, we have fasted before you. They say, why aren't you impressed? Why don't you see our sacrifices? Why don't you hear our prayers? We have done much penance and you don't even notice it. I'll tell you why. Because you are living in evil pleasure. Even while you are fasting and you keep right in, right on oppressing the workers and oppressing my people and living a wicked life. You know, that's a big thing with the churches and the people now talking about fasting and Ezekiel fast and all this. But all of this is to draw attention and to glorify themselves. What's the motivation for them fasting to do wrong as they talk about Christian nationalism now they, they mention a lot of good a lot of godly things that Mike Johnson and the people in the house that are talking about. But talk is cheap. Talk is very cheap, but it's actions that impress God. He says you with your mouth you honor me, but your heart is far from me. What's motivating you to do these things? Is there any soundness in you? You know, because if you really love someone, that person will take a whole lot out of you and they'll go a long distance. But they could actually tell that you loved them. Now, now this is a spiritual love. This is love. We're talking uh, agape love. We're talking not a phileo because there are a lot of people out there that are fools in love. Now, that, you know, you, you're a fool in love. You know, that's one of the worst kind of people that is there because people misuse people that are in love with them, they abuse people with a worldly love. You know, if you're just fascinated with somebody, intrigued with them, usually that falls in the category of idolatry. Ahab loved Jezebel. Samson loved Delilah. But she made a fool of him. He ended up bald-headed blind and ended up committing suicide. So it can only go so far. You have to obey God. So these people was wondering why God hadn't listening at their fast. But their fast was insincere. In other words, they had the trimmings of Christianity. 
you can trim any tree to make it look like a Christmas tree, but that doesn't make it a Christmas tree. A, a, a tree is known by the fruit it bears. You know, you're just hanging ornaments on the outside, but had the inside had an internal change, and only God can circumcise and give us a new heart. You know, you got an old heart there, and it's a lot of people, even the people of the world can see that this is most of the people that are parading around now is a false Christianity. It makes them weary of Christianity, and that's what God spoke, and he told David, you've caused my name to be blaspheming among the Hindus. The, uh, among the Gentiles because outrightly you're not conducting yourself as a child of God. You know, a lot of things we of the world, uh, of the church do and not aware that the world can see who we are, what we are by our action. Here Jonah cowered down on the boat, cowered in a hole, hiding, and he said, well, didn't you say you served the living and the true God? Why you aren't up calling on your God? Why are you down here hiding? Well, finally he admitted, well, I'm the cause of the problem. Throw me overboard. See, are, are you actually calling on God? Are you calling on him in prayer? Are you doing the necessary actions that it would take to be a child of God? Fasting puts us in a proper attitude to submit to God. But if it's only show, it's like the Pharisees who fasted two or three times a week and, and he didn't mind letting you know that he wasn't like the publicans or whatever. He give a tide, he tied a mint deal coming, he would tie his seasoning in all those things. And Christ says these things you ought to do, but judgment and mercy, these are the weightier matters of the law. In other words, outwardly we know you tied meant deal and coming those things you should do he says they fast two or three times a week but all of it was self-centered you were praying with yourself God wasn't in your prayer he says he don't even hear those prayers he wasn't regarding their fast he wasn't regarding their assemblies or anything Uh, when we deprive ourselves of the necessities of life we see how dependent we are upon God's providence when we scrape down to the bare bones and knuckles like the widow that gave of her last two mites. You know, she gave all. She gave more than those Pharisees who gave out of their abundance, who gave countless, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars. She gave more because of where it came from, the sacrifice she was making. David says he wouldn't give anything to the Lord that he hadn't sacrificed. It wasn't his. It's easy to give away something that's not yours or whatever. Or run and say, well, you could have this stretch and flow, the sacrifice. He said, no, I need to pay for it. I need to make a sacrifice. Why in the book of Romans it says, present your body as a living sacrifice unto God. It has to cost you something. You know, sometimes Christianity could cost you your marriage could cause you a relationship with your children. It's a song it said that I gave all I had to serve the Lord. Well, now you get to the point where God can do something with you now. But if you reserve that you hold back and that's what you keep, that's probably your ruination. That, that's, that's what's going to cause your downfall, that, that which you made an idol, that which you kept for yourself. 
That's what Saul said. We held back the best thing, the best things to sacrifice for God. Yeah, but you disobeyed me. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And that's what the people are doing today. They're not obedient to God's word. They're not obedient to his instructions. He says, so show them their transgressions. Show them where they're messing up at. This is why there's a trick. This is why in our true spiritual affairs, we neither eat nor drink anything for the whole of 24 hours. And, you know, nowadays people say, well, I'm going to fast from television. I'm going to fast from doing this. I'm going to... Those aren't actually fast. You might be hooked up on material things. You might say you go unplug from your electronics or whatever. But that's not a fast. That may be that you didn't got addicted to something that you shouldn't be addicted to. But notice what the Bible, the things that when they proclaim a fast, the book of Deuteronomy, the ninth chapter, and 18th verse, and the, the people was a fast. It says, I, and I fell down before the Lord as it, at the first. Forty days and forty nights I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins which ye had sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Notice that with Jesus, with Moses, with all of the Old Testament saints, a fast was either neither drinking nor eating. And that meant water also, because, you know, water, water can stabilize, you know, you 98% water, you can get full off water, you know. Not that it's the most nutritional thing for you. But that's why, you know, a lot of people say, well, let me just wet my whistle or whatever. You don't want to dehydrate or whatever. But that's why God didn't command the fast. We don't see that in the New Testament. It said that we will, that some would fast, but fasting is not a commandment. Even in the Old Testament, it only was commanded one day a year. And that was a day of atonement. In other words, a day to get at one with God because by denying yourself of the essentials, that which is necessary, you say you acknowledge that you need God that to get a closer union with God. But if you're doing it by compulsion, if you're doing it as a legalistic way, say, look, God, I'm fasting. You need to reward me. You're not listening at me. Why don't you... Uh, take what I do, what I'm asking you to do. You know, a lot of people say they go fast for this to get God to do this. Well, I don't think fasting can move the meter with God and make God do anything. Fasting just brings you spiritually closer to God. Fasting has to be united with prayer, anyhow. But don't get, I, I didn't taught on fasting, and I'll have to teach a little bit more different time on fasting, but. Fasting doesn't move that meter to talking about making God do anything. Commanding God to do those things. Esther, fourth chapter, and the sixteenth verse says, Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Susan, because I'm gonna go in to the king and I, I'm putting my life on the line. But before I put my life on the line, he says, And y'all fast ye for me, neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. It might not work. It might not work, but I'm going to be fasted, though. See, fasting is showing a sacrifice away from this, but the people that nowadays are talking about these things, you're fasting for weight loss. You want to look a little bit better. You're 
fasting to get a car. You fasting to acquire something or whatever. You're not fasting to get, to get spiritually close with God or for God to work his will to save your children or to save somebody or godly work or something that's going to glorify God. So no wonder God wasn't acknowledging their fast. They say we're fasting and we don't see you giving us no results here. Why are you hypocrites? He's not even listening at you. God desires such a humble spirit in us so that when we walk in harmony with him, that then God hears us because we are in agreement and in fellowship with him. Micah 6 and 8 says, He had showed thee, O man, what is good and what doeth the Lord would cry of thee. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Notice those are actions that none of them will say, Well, you need to quit eating, you need to fast. No, that wasn't required of But humility is. To do justly is, and to walk humbly with God is, lower yourself there. Isaiah 66 and 2 says, For all these things my hand had made, and all those things have been, said the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. But nowadays they suppress the truth. Of God's word. And righteousness, unrighteously, they suppress the truth. That's what Christian nationalism is. They're supposed to be looking out for the people, the very people that they are oppressing. He tells us about our treatment of the foreigners. He tells us about our treatment of the poor and the downtrodden. But it's a spiritual mark of honor now to disallow these rights to people, to be violent, to, to be rude, to be pugnacious, to be vicious. None of these are godly characteristics and you wonder why he's not hearing you. Amplified says, for all these things my hand had made, so all these things came into being by and for me, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look graciously to him who is humble and contrite in spirit, who reverently trembles at my word and honors my command. But what we hear now is boastful, arrogant people. And I read earlier to opening up those, all the way to the 12th verse of the 58th chapter, I think. And that was reasons of what was going on. You need to go back and read those verses. Are reading the word of God commanding more of your time or something else because like I said time spent with God increases your time in meditation in his word is that one of the things he told Joshua that he was going to be with him like he was with be with Moses let not his word depart out of your heart or out of your mind he says meditate on it day and night how many of us meditating on his word day and night are we meditating on the things of the world? All of these things in the world. No wonder God doesn't hear us. But all of a sudden, you get in a tight, something has happened, and you rush in before God, say, oh, God, help me do this and do this and do that. Well, hold on, slow down, slow it down, slow your roll here. 
you need to be able to come into God's presence and just relax and kind of sell yourself. It's like the doctor, when you go to the doctor or whatever, he's sitting the nurse in there to check your blood pressure and everything or whatever. But when he comes in, he checks it again himself, doesn't he? Because the initial one is they call it white coat blood pressure. In other words, when you go there, you all excited or whatever, and your blood pressure is kind of erratic or whatever, and the nurse checks it or whatever. But then when he comes in and he checks your pressure that second time or whatever, usually it's lowered and you didn't calm down some or whatever. And it's, it is not as erratic or whatever, and it's a more accurate reading of it. Sometimes we rush in all of a sudden before God, but come in and get into God's presence in a calm manner that you're used to coming before your father and quiet down and hear from him. Get in a state where you're ready to talk to him. Gather your thoughts. Don't just run in. You ever hear people praying? You say, well, what was he saying? Or what was he praying? You know, you throw that prayer together. That was something we don't even know what you was talking about. You didn't say all of these things and they didn't mean anything. Don't be rash before God with the vows or the things coming out of your mouth. Be slow to speak quick to hear. Uh, the members of Isaiah's audience were fasting for all of the wrong reasons. They fasted to get things from God and hypocritically appear righteous. And as I said, that's how we are today. That's with this nation. That's why I say it's a cautious Christianity. You need to be cautious of those that say that they are Christians. Uh, they Though they should fast to free others from other things, as I was saying, from bondage and for different healings. But it's not a tool in which we can use as a cudgel to move God to make him do something for us. But it's a state of condition of mind where it's, it's part of your life. That's, that's part of your character. You're in a position to do those things. Uh, any benefits we derive from it is a blessing from God, so it's not something that we can use as a tool. Someone called me today and was asking for interpretation of something or what something meant, and I asked several questions or whatever because, you know, even Nebuchadnezzar knows, well, look, you can't just come to me willy-nilly and tell me you had a dream or something. What this meant? But I'm going to tell you the first thing come in my mind. Usually they tell you anything. Oh, that's what that meant. And they go about your business. Now, but you never say, well, if you're a man of God, you tell me the dream and then tell me the interpretation because you go lie and say the dream meant this and it meant these and it didn't mean any of those things. I told the individual that was talking to me, I said, well, I'm like Daniel and Joseph. Only God can interpret dreams and when Nebuchadnezzar, when they told Daniel the dream, Daniel says, now I go back and me and my people, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they prayed and asked God, what was the interpretation of that dream? Could have meant any various things. On the Day of Atonement, we fast to implore God to bring to pass the greatest blessings of all upon ourselves and the world, and that is unity, oneness with him. That's what the word atonement means, at one with God. He was a perpetuation of our sins. 
he died to reconcile us to God, to bring back a union with him. That was the only day of the year. That was the day of atonement that the high priest went in the Holy of the Holies. It was that one day of year. Zacharias 7, chapter 4 through the 6th verse. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Zacharias, saying, Speak unto all the people of the land to the priest, saying, When you fasted and mourn in the fifth month of the year, and seven months these seventy years that you were in exile, was it actually for me that you fasted? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? To satisfy your own needs? Should you not hear the words which the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous along with her cities around her in the south Negev and the foothills where they were inhabited? Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus said the Lord of hosts, Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion to each other. And do not oppress or exploit the widow of the fatherless, the stranger of the poor. And do not devise or even imagine evil in your hearts against one another. But they refused to listen and pay attention and turn a stubborn shoulder, stiffening up their resistance and stopped up their ears. They made their hearts hard like flint so that they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the form of prophets. Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts, just as he called, and they would not listen. So they called, and I would not listen, he says. Why should I listen at you, and you're not listening at me? Isn't God right about that? See, so that's a, I have no confidence in this nation. It has to fall. The Christianity that I see is hypocritical. The majority of the people I see, I see why God scattered the people, and even among those that are close within us, we see why the destruction is there. Samuel seen, uh, Eli seen, why that God was going to destroy his sons, and he admonished them and told them what happens if you sin against God. We no longer tremble at God's word, and God says that's the man that he looks to those with a humble heart and a contrite spirit and tremble at his word. But now we can't even stay awoke to hear God's word. We don't take heed to his word. We don't hide his word in our heart. God's word, we've become so dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. To what? We want to grasp more and more of the world. We want to crowd the world and the things of the world in there. But we're squeezing God's out of us, and that should be our lifeline. If that's the only one that we have eternal life in, we should have an abundance of fellowship with him. This actually confirms that God permits national observances, but I'm not, the guy at Costco that was telling me, uh, don't forget the reason for the season. I went on and said, you know what? Don't forget the season for the reason. I don't celebrate Christmas. I don't but I do know that Jesus Christ, the Son, was given and that we don't know what day he was born. I know we resurrected daily because we should die daily. We should rise up to walk in the newness of life and that Jesus Christ, that we put a pagan holiday in. 
And that's when he started, you know, we went back and forth. We start quoting scriptures and talking scriptures. And he seen that he had got deeper than he actually wanted to go because, hey, now you're looking at Christmas and Easter and all these are pagans. And, well, that's not the reason. Come on, don't forget the reason for the season. What season? If I don't celebrate Christmas, and I don't believe in Christmas, but I do believe in Jesus Christ, and I do believe the Son was given, and I do believe God gave His only begotten Son, and He says, This day have I begotten thee. Now, so far as December 25th or uh, any other day, I don't know anything about those days. You, you practice days and nights. I'm kind of afraid of you. If you go around looking at days and things, observing days and times, that's what Paul said. Those that were given observing days and times, he was kind of afraid of those people. <laughs> Every day. This is the day the Lord had made. They're the same to me. No difference. The Jew abused, the Jews' attitude abused something permitted but not commanded. In other words, this is a day that God permitted to fast, but it wasn't commanded. But now you're abusing something that God hadn't even commanded. So it's just the same as Christmas. This is Christmas, but now you got to warn people or reason with supposedly Christian people. Don't forget the reason for the season. Hold on. You didn't throw the bath water out and the baby was in it? So you celebrating Christmas, but you didn't forget whose birthday it is? You got to remind people, well, we need to do something. And, you know, that's what the church doing is going to church for Christmas. How, really, when, when how most of us was young, were the churches going to, going to church on Christmas Day? Uh, well, that's new to me. We didn't go to church. Did y'all go to church? On, did, I guess you, all y'all. But most of the Baptist churches didn't go to church on Sundays back then. Do you remember? I mean, on Christmas? No. That's uh, Huh? That's what I say. That's something new that the pagan churches are bringing in, going on Christmas. Since a lot of them still don't go on Christmas because, like I say, you might have went on Christmas, but most churches then didn't go on Christmas. You see, because they were more Christ-like then. In other words, they were closer to God because it wasn't about the stuff, really. With the children, it was the stuff, but with the adults. Sunday was most sacred then. They're talking about the blue laws and all this. But the closer the Christians get to all this, the more they bring God into these things and abuse something that God had freely given. That's why I said grace and truth came under Jesus Christ. So under grace, that's what we, God's laws are written on our hearts. That's why it says the law was weak through the flesh. You couldn't keep the law. So all these people talking about going to church on Christmas, that means you believe in Christmas then. And if you have to, then you go there. Mm. You know, a lot of people. Wow. He questioned, God expresses his disapproval of ethical and spiritual attitudes that underlay their outward observance. In other words, this is what you say outward. But how many people today, women and men, the women and give away to, to their jobs that they, they can't even keep up with the children. The grandparents have to keep up with their children. They're so tied up with working and doing everything. Where's your husband? Where's your boyfriend? Where's these children's daddy at? And it's didn't come in 
to now the grandparents are doing all this. So what what are the women doing? That's why we got a loose generation. That's why it says the older women should teach the younger women. If you read the Proverbs 31 woman, her first obligation was to her home and to the stewards and the people within her home. Then she worked outside the house. We got this backwards. We don't have a home. The children barely see the parents. It's, it's all about stuff and working jobs or whatever. But we need to start making the metal, uh, rubber meet the road where it should have and start coming down on this. And, I, and no, Never who get elected president. I can understand and see this thing falling in. But God's people are cheering because we see Jesus Christ coming back. As the bottom falls out, he says, it shall not come nigh thee. This is where it gets good at because he says he's going to keep us through tribulation. He questions their sincerity and motivations during their fast, which should have been times of prayer and repentance, a turning away from what they were, what they were doing. But nowadays, none of the churches preach repentance. Everybody thinks they're all right. That's because the preachers are not showing them their transgression and their sin. Your problem is you stay too much at your job. You're supposed to be with your children. You're spending far too many other time doing other things. You have a house. You don't have a home. Too many cars. Too much stuff or whatever. Get rid of some of that stuff and give them your time. Young man was coming across my fence today or whatever. I'm standing there looking at him. I'm sorry, Pop. I was just trying to come from my yard to go over here or whatever. And he get halfway through that. He turned around. I got this Rolex. You don't look like you're but 15 or 16 years old. So the Rolex you got must be stolen. You know the value of a stolen watch or whatever. Why would I buy something from somebody that's crawling across my fence? And I'm supposed to be undelighted or unhappy when I see these people getting shot down, when these people are going to jail. That's, their parents has to cradle them or do something because it's gone too far. We may be, I may be hearing about him or seeing about him or whatever. But that's what we have going to materialism. Instead of saying, I didn't frighten this old man by crawling across his, tr- his fence here. But now I get up here and I go in my pocket and say, Papa, what, uh, what about this Rolex? You want a Rolex? Oh, I'm supposed to buy a Rolex from some kid crawling across my fence. Huh? It says they should have used the time to recall their sins that had led them into slavery that made the calling the fast so necessary. They should have been searching for any remnant of those sins residing in them and repenting of them. That's what's happening. Everybody don't want to say that little bastard child should have a father that should punish him and tell him about what he's doing. In this day and age, you can lose your life doing that. Where are the parents nowadays? That's why it says cursed children, turning the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons of the fathers. We need to get right, but without a conviction, with these children running around with material things and think thinking materially all the time, we see why the Bible says cursed children and why the death rate among young black children are so high. 
because how many fathers are truly in the house that are attending a Bible-believing church, a church that's believing and not sparing the rod? Don't tell him time out against the wall or whatever. You need corporate punishment. You need different things going on. So we see a generation that God has to, to put the brakes on. We can't, we didn't allow it too far to go too far. God has to do this. And that's why it says captivity and bondage. All of these things are what's bringing us into bondage. They used to say, parents, do you know where your child is? I don't even think they have those commercials anymore. In Isaiah 58 and 5, God asks, is it a faith that I've chosen God is scolding his people and says, is this something that I've chosen or asked you or told you to do? 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6 says, Likewise, you younger men of lesser ranking experience, be subject to your elders, seek their counsel, and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Tie on the servant's apron, for God's opposed to the proud. That is the disdainful, the presumptuous, and he defeats them and he gives grace to the humble. So the, these evildoers, these are the ones that I come to church. I come up here the other night and I pray. I'm asking God, remove the evildoers, remove that which is wicked. Br bring forth thy will in the earth. Grant repentance to your sons and daughters. Grant Pour out your spirit you set up on all flesh, and our sons and daughters would prophesy and have dreams. Those of his cause. We're asking for the manifestation of the sons of God, but with that comes also the judgment upon the wicked. So judgment has to come. There's a calamitous time coming. Don't be distraught with it. I don't watch news the way I used to watch news because news... It's no use anymore. We see the fatal flaw has occurred, and there's no hope. There's no hope in the Democrats, the Republicans, the Independents, whatever party. There's no hope for man. Jesus Christ is the only hope. He's the only way. And those that are broken are the only ones that are go back with him and will be established on the earth. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that is, set aside self-righteous pride, so that he may exalt you to a place of honor in his service at an appropriate time. See, it's a lot of people don't, don't have enough sense uh, or enough repentance or humility to say that they don't know something. Self-pride is not to let someone say, I, I don't understand, uh, I, I'm wrong, uh, 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 admit that they don't know something, that they are sinners. That's why that's blasphemy against the Holy Ghost because that's the truth and you won't acknowledge the truth. Those that don't acknowledge the truth, they're self-centered, that's self-pride because he who confesses his fault, he who confesses his sin, those are the ones that Jesus Christ forgives. If we confess... We have an advocate with the Father. If we confess that we're wrong, that's why it's a constant repentance. And the more you repent, it has a sanctifying effect on you. It's a process where you see clearer and clearer. You get stronger and stronger. And the fruit of your lips bring forth praise and glory and honor to God. 
That's why it says peace, peace unto that person. But there's so many young people with oration and trying to see how they go please their wife, trying to see how they please their husband, or please their children, or please this person, or please so stressed out and worried, they don't have time. They don't have time to meditate on God. They don't have med- time to meditate on the things of the world. The most important thing uh, we can take from these verses is understanding and knowledge. The belief and the conviction that humility is a choice. That is a choice that we have to make. And that's why I said, if my people would humble themselves. So that's a choice, something we have to do is humble ourselves. We can choose to go the right way. And when we do, we've humbled ourselves. Humility is not a feeling, but a state of mind. When a person sets his course to submit to God, regardless of how he feels, or who cares about it, your obedience and your submission is under God. And that's a terrible, hard thing to do. We talk about it, but that's a very hard thing to do, to submit yourself to God, to resist the devil. That's the only way to get him to flee. But you have to submit yourself to God. And that's going to take a repentance. That's, that's terrible. You need God to help break you from these things. You need a broken and contrite heart. Along these lines, fasting makes us think about where our life-sustaining provisions come from. They are not inherent, but have to come from outside of us. Even the physical water or food or air we need comes from the outside. So that's why we do not have self-sustaining life. Nobody can sustain itself. And that's why I say we need at-one-ment with Jesus Christ because He and he only has eternal life. That's what sustains us. That's why he's able to fast. You remember when Peter and him came to the village of the Samaritan or whatever, and they asked him uh, about something. He said, I have food that you have that you know not of. His food was to do the will of God. When it becomes our necessity, the word of God is our necessary food because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. But we can't, we're not physically able to do that today because we're not, we're spiritually compromised. We're still in bondage to Satan. And that's what fasting do. It looses those bonds that Satan has on us, those self-centeredness of us. Spiritual provision is from that same source, and that is Jesus Christ. The necessities that sustain spiritual life and produce the kind of strength that we want to have, the sense of well-being that we desire, along with a clear conscience, all of these vital nutrients come from God. So he can only remove guilt, a clear conscience. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. But there's a lot of us carrying around a lot of guilt, a lot of worration and stress. That's why I say we in pitiful shape and there's never enough time in the day. There's never enough things to get done. We're busy being busy. They are not, they are directly tied to our submission to God because God resists the proud, but he gives greater grace to the humble. And so the more you submit to God, the more peace, time, satisfaction, and all of these things God gives us. If we are waiting for a feeling to come along before we submit to God, 
We're going to be waiting a long time because it's not about a feeling. Life is not feeling. You're carnal if you're waiting on these feelings. Feelings is terribly humanistic. It's not about our will, about how we feel about something. We just have to believe God, trust and have faith in him. It may come and it may not come. We may use feeling in the same sense of decision that is reached. When we say that we felt we had to go in a certain direction, we may not be speaking of an emotion at all. In that case, our feeling is correct and we would be right in understanding First Peter is that God moves us by the prompting of the Spirit. And that's why I say, is this a feeling or emotion or is this God's Spirit leading you to make this choice? Those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So are you submitting yourself to in obedience to God, or is there an ulterior motive if this is carnal, the reason you're making this submission? That's not easy to do, and that's why I always ask questions. I want you to ask questions and get this clarified or whatever if you're not understanding, because God gives grace to those just as Joseph. He was privily thinking of a way to put Mary away. And God gave him, and it wasn't an audible voice, I'm sure, that came and said, Joseph, don't put Mary away. But these, these things of God are so prominent, they're so sharp and focused, and I will feel it. It seems as though it's an audible voice. That's why a lot of things Abraham did was a walk of faith, that he believed God, that Noah believed God. But are you actually thinking that God appeared to all of these different people or whatever? Because faith can't be seen. If we are walking by faith and not by sight, we're not walking by something that we could see. So we have to hear the word of God, right? Because faith cometh by hearing the word of God because the word of God are faith-filled words. That's why we have to be led by the word of God. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of, of us of how you ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Uh, the Amplified says, Finally, brethren, uh-oh, I ain't got this thing. Amplified says, finally, believers, we ask and admonish you. You remember the word admonish? I told you was call aloud, like I said, cry aloud and spare not. Well, we need, that's what preaching into. He says, I admonish you in the Lord Jesus that you follow the instructions that you receive from us. What is instructions? It's teaching. It's doctrine. The doctrine, the instruction that you receive from us about how you ought to walk and please God. Just as you are actually doing. That's what you should be doing is walking by the apostle doctrine, the apostle creed. And that you excel even more and more, pursuing a life of purpose and living in a way that expresses gratitude to God for salvation. That's a show of, of your, your actions in life and the fruit of your lips, giving praise and honor to God. 
when we really mature in our spiritual life, we see more and more. We know more. We feel more. That word feel now, you remember I tell you that has different connotations. We feel more. We do more. And we what? Repent more. It is all in proportion to our closeness to God. We are in short growing in grace, as Peter said in Second Peter 3 and 18. He says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Uh, the living says, but grow in spiritual strength and become better acquainted with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be all glory, splendor, honor, both nine forevermore. No one who neglects the spiritual big four. He is the spiritual big four. Bible study, prayer, meditation, and occasional fasting. Why I say occasional fasting? Because as you grow in grace and knowledge and understanding of God, as you meditate in his word, it's it, as you obeying his word, that obedience brings about fasting because it puts you in a position to do more for others and to help others. And that's how we can maybe cast different things away from us or from other people because his, Jesus didn't tell his disciples that they wasn't good disciples, but they asked him why we couldn't cast him out. He says, this kind goeth out but by prayer and fasting. So the fastening comes along, the fasting comes along with the stronger prayer life that's added to that. In other words, that's spiritual muscle. Fasting adds spiritual muscle. You can expect to make much more progress in sanctification because these are the channels through which spiritual strength flows from God. It flows from God in this direction because Satan comes through three portals, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. This is why having access to God through Jesus Christ is so important. These offer up these offer up wait a minute here, I'm trying to change this. This is why having access to God through Jesus Christ is so important. These efforts produce faith and then obedience and fresh supplies of God's grace because by faith and a faith that has, that if you're obedient to God, that faith has works and we do greater works in Jesus Christ. It's an ever-increasing faith. That faith in, increases fruit production. In other words, people can see what type tree you are. Your fruits bear out the faith that you have. James says, show me your faith and I'll show you my faith by my works. So we see this producing in the way that this works in our lives. There are no spiritual gains without pains. Would we expect a crop from a farmer who never even looked at the fields until harvest time that he's not out there plowing and harrowing? Because if you don't dig up your fallow ground, when you get rainfall, the soil is going to be hard and the water is just going to run on off into the dry. 
But if the ground is pulverized, it's been harrowed, it's been worked, well, the rain's going to saturate, it's going to go into the ground. You have to pull the weeds, you have to do the work. You have to, a farmer is one of the most labor, laborious jobs that they are being a farmer. That is that he can't sleep all day. He must tend to his crops. The farmer has got to get out in the fields and sow the seed and work the 